Welcome to the podcast of Saltbox Church, where we are passionate about helping people engage in the love of a fiercely relational God. Good morning. I'm Michael Mattis. If you're new with us, we're glad to have you here um, in the journey of church and life and faith. If you're online, we want to say a big welcome. Um, We are in the middle of John 15. Uh, So we are moving through the book of John, and John starts out with these big, huge brushstrokes, kind of years are passing, and now we're entering into this um, season or these few passages of John where it's like moment. It's moment by moment. And I think there's something very special in this latter portion of John 15 that we're going to look at today because Jesus is getting very um, up close and personal um, with these 11 disciples that are left, okay? One has uh, left, uh, Judas, and these are the final moments that Jesus has with his disciples. So um, we are going to uh, tune into that. Um, John 15, we're going to start in verse 18, and we're going to go to chapter 16, um, verse 4. And what I'd love to do is give you a historical context. I'd love to give you a little bit of a biblical context, and and perhaps I'll even give you a little personal um, context on this. But what's interesting is if you look at chapter 15, if you're on your Bible or on your phone or wherever you are and you scroll through there, um, we ended in verse uh, 17. And in chapter 15, everything is about um, love, right? It's about God's love for us. It's about our love for others. And then as we enter into this verse 18, it shifts and Jesus starts talking about hate. It's like, what? And in this latter half of John 15, Jesus says the word hate seven times in my translation. I'm reading out of the NIV. And so he begins to prepare us for being hated um, or being rejected. So, you know, if I wanted to like, I guess, paint a picture for you guys on John chapter 15, here's what it looks like to me. The, The first thing is he's talking about our relationship with God. Then he talks about our relationship with each other. So our relationship with God, a love relationship, our relationship with each other, a love relationship. And then he sort of pivots into this idea of our relationship with the world. And guess what our relationship with the world is characterized by? The world rejecting us, the world hating us. So very interesting as we sort of open this. If you've never uh, been in church, if you're new here, this is almost like a um, kind of a family meeting. Jesus has his little intimate group and he's gathering, he's talking to them. So just enjoy hanging out with us today. Um, But I think if I would say something as we move into the reading here, Jesus is saying, if you abide in me, if you abide in relationship with me, you'll experience inordinate joy in relationship to me, wonderful love relationships with people, but you're going to be hated by the world. That's what we're entering into. And it's like, what? So there's this, um, it's almost challenging. And what I love about Jesus is there's no bait and switch. You know what I'm saying? Like he's just going to tell you right up front, this is the way it is. So get ready. Um, So let's open up reading. And and let me even um, just give you you two little scenarios. I was thinking back on my own life. Um, I walked with Jesus in high school. I actually went to middle school here, believe it or not. Is that not weird? Um, And then I went to Hoggard High School, and I walked with Jesus here, and I walked with Jesus over there, and I I started these little Christian clubs, um, both in in, uh, here at Rolling Grace and then over at Hoggard. And one of the things I remember as a student is I would would roll up to a group of people. You know how middle schoolers and high schoolers do, and they're really just like adults. We get in these little groups, and what do we do? We, we talk. We chat. Everybody's talking, so they're in a little circle. And I remember so often coming up to the circle, and guess what would happen? And I remember feeling, like, uh, rejected. I remember feeling, like, not cool. I remember feeling, like, insecure. I remember feeling, like, what's wrong with me? Now, this is a very, we'll actually talk about some persecution that goes on around the world for Christians, but on a very low level. Persecution? Yeah. You're being rejected um, for carrying the name of who? Jesus. Okay, let's talk about another way. This is just another simple way. I was a freshman at UNCW. Um, I, had a, I was in a religion class, which is always interesting. Um, and it, he was a religion professor. Um, it was Abrahamic religion, so it was Muslim, uh, Judaism, and Christianity. And um, we got to this one point, and I, I came to find out much later, but the professor was raised um, by a pastor. I mean, that's a mess, right? <laughs> 
So this one particular class, he, he basically said, are any of you guys uh, Christians? Do any of you believe in Jesus? And guess what the class did? Total silence. And I was like, I mean, you know, my heart starts beating and I'm like, oh, here it goes. And so reluctantly, I pushed my chair back and I stood up. He, he asked us to stand up if you were a Christian. So I remember standing up and he proceeded to ask five or six questions that I, I couldn't answer most of them. I was like, ah. And at the end of it, I said, I'm standing the whole time. I'm embarrassed again. I'm, I'm feeling self-conscious. I'm feeling like I'm not intelligent enough to go head to head with this guy, right? Can you imagine? I'm a, it's like I'm a freshman. And, um, and finally, I just looked at him and said, you know, I, I don't know, and I can't answer all your questions, but I, I believe in Jesus, um, and I've got a relationship with him, and, and then I sat back down. But I spent the rest of the semester feeling some level of probably insecurity and persecution. Yeah, that's low level, you know, whatever, persecution. So I want to open this up um, as, we, as we roll through this. Um, and I want you to th- begin to even think of your own life in areas where you may have experienced, maybe persecution is it's a hard word to even wrestle out, maybe rejection because you love Jesus. How's that? Okay, let's jump in. All right, verse 18 of chapter 15 of John. If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. I love this about Jesus. Jesus always goes first. He never asks us to do anything that he didn't do. I mean, I love that. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you have not belonged to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, servants are not greater than their master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. So there's that Bible word, persecute. We can shift that to reject it on behalf of Jesus if you'd like. And I, I should in, interject something in here. Um, I think that Jesus is beginning to juxtapose two things. Um, and and if, I, if we can juxtapose them even in our minds as we, as we roll through this passage, it's, hey, you can, um, you can be a Jesus uh, sort of uh, fan. You can be like a, a, a quiet Jesus person, maybe, you know, hiding in the, in the wings. Or you can be a Jesus follower. But I don't know that you can be both. So hold that. You can be a Jesus fan or you can be a Jesus follower, but I don't know that you can be both. Okay, Uh, verse um, 20. Remember what I told you. Servants are not greater than their master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Who sent him? God the Father, that's right. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. For those who hate me hate my Father as well. So can you hate Jesus and love God? No. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my Father. But this is to fulfill what was written in their law. They hated me without reason. So he's saying, they hate me, Jesus. Um, Because they hate me, they hate God. Because they hate God, they're going to hate you. Like, it is is like a, um, I I mean, there's... There's no easy sort of way through this or around this. Jesus is sitting with these disciples. He's sharing openly and intimately. He's actually preparing them for the fact that he's about to die. And if you look at the 11 apostles that are left, um, 10 of them are killed or martyred, is what we'd say, uh, for their faith. Only John, the the beloved who who, uh, wrote this book, was the one who died of natural causes. All right, verse 26. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you. Now, who's the advocate? Holy Spirit, you have God the Father, um, God the Son, Jesus, God the Holy Spirit, and they're not, they're, they're, they're all in one. So it's the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. So it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So the advocate comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father. He will testify about me, and you must also testify. Some of your translations may say witness. Does anybody say witness? couple? Okay. Um, Uh, He will uh, testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. 
they will put you uh, out of the synagogue. In fact, um, so, so he, he like shifts into what's going to happen to some of you who are Christians. And here's what he says. They will put you out of the synagogue. So the synagogue was like the Jewish persons um, in Palestine in this day and age, in Israel in this day and age. The synagogue was in many ways the epicenter of a little town or, or society. So if you got put out of that synagogue, you're like cut off of all relationship. Your support is gone. Like it's, it's far bigger than just, hey, don't, you know, this, it's, a, it's a serious thing. They will uh, put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the hour is coming when those who kill you will think they are offering a service to God. They do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their hour comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you uh, this from the beginning because I was with you. Lord Jesus, I pray that as we unpack this today, that you would give us um, revelation into our own hearts and lives, and you'd allow us to see not only the word, um, but the world, and then ourselves in this context. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so let me give you a historical context. So um, John is being written some, I don't know, 60 years after Jesus was crucified and resurrected. He's probably sitting in a little um, a, a city called Ephesus, which is in Turkey. And just some, some context here. Um, I think Jesus knew all this was going to transpire when, when uh, he said this, and then John certainly was experiencing it when they wrote this. So at this point, um, they are in what was called the Roman Empire, Right? And at this point, the Roman Empire stretches from um, the Euphrates River in Iraq all the way over to Great Britain. Then it stretches from Germany all the way down to North Africa. It's this, it's this massive empire. And at this point in time, there was a guy named Nero um, who was the emperor, also known as... Caesar. That's exactly right. Those can be used interchangeable. So what happened is there began to be a question in the Roman rulers about how do we unify or sort of weld together this massive um, empire. And what was interesting is there were some places who hated Roman rule, like Palestine and Israel was one of those places, but most of the places that were ruled by Rome were actually thankful for them, believe it or not. We'd make a mistake to think that everyone hated Roman rule. And, and here's the way it worked. There's all these marauders and raiders and little, you know, war parties that are moving through the known world at this time. And what happens when Rome comes in? Safety, structure. All of a sudden there's some form of punishment. There's some form of, you know, you can go, you can be imprisoned, you can be sentenced. Um, There were pirates on the seas. What happens when Rome moves in? No more, cleared out. So there's some level of peace and prosperity if you're loyal to Rome. And what happened is the people rose up. The, this was, this, uh, what, there was an, an interesting little, um, I don't know, it was a, 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 a thing that they ended up doing every year. Um, but the people knew that Rome, or the spirit of Rome, there was a Roman goddess called Roma, and the people began to associate this Roman goddess, or Roma, with the emperor. Okay, following me? So uh, the emperor then would sort of embody this spirit of Rome, and it wasn't too long, and the people actually began to worship the emperor. Okay, so uh, what initially Rome and the emperors were against this, but they in time began to see this as a way to unify this massive empire, okay? And what happened, it wasn't too long, and people actually, uh, Rome began to require that you take this little pinch of incense, it's no big deal, right? You take this little pinch of incense, and once a year, and you'd burn it on an altar, and you'd say, Caesar is Lord, Now, Rome was very tolerant once you took your pinch of incense and you put it on the altar and said, Caesar is Lord, and you could go worship anything you wanted. But only after, what? Only after you made this little sacrifice of incense. So uh, what began to happen is um, Christians, how do you think Christians responded? Not well, right? Ah, Rightfully so. So are are most Christians going to be willing to take this little pinch of incense and burn it and say Caesar is Lord? No, they're Jesus followers. So they're saying Jesus is Lord. Jesus is our only king. And how does Rome begin to feel now about Christians? Hates them. Hates them. So that's sort of the context, um, how how this uh, begins to unfurl. Um, Let me just one step further. Emperor Nero had a favorite actor, as I understand it, a guy named um, Alliterus, and he was Jewish. He had a second wife named Empress Popea Sabina, and she was also an adherent to the Jewish faith, and both slandered and whispered to Nero about who? Christians. 
So Nero has in his both ears, he's listening to people who are hating um, Christians. And here are some things that, that were said. First, it was whispered that they were insurrectionists. They, were, they wanted to overthrow Rome because they wouldn't take and say, Caesar is Lord. Okay. Secondly, uh, it was said that they were cannibals. Why? This is my body. This is my blood given for you. So it was whispered. It was twisted. They took a, 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 a seed of truth, and then it was twisted into a lie, and they were called cannibals. Thirdly, um, it was said, and again, this was a seed of truth that was twisted into a lie, but it was said that Christians practiced flagrant immorality because they had a weekly love feast or church that was called agape, where they greeted each other with a holy kiss. And so it was twisted that what they were doing at these feasts was actually flagrant immorality. So all this is being whispered into Nero's sort of ears. Um, it was also said, if you look at, and I want to actually read this quickly because I think it's worth a quick read. But Second Peter 3.10 actually says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. Now in Nero's rule, there was this huge fire in Rome. Guess who got blamed? Okay, so what Jesus is setting up here and what's happening in John's day is that you are going to be hated by the world. Now, what's challenging for us um, is we live in a place that's, that's uh, still, we have religious freedom, okay? So the question becomes, how exactly are we hated by the world? Which is why I started with two little simple examples. But how do we navigate that? What can be considered persecution or being hated? Um, and then sort of how do we navigate that? The, the very uh, last thing that was whispered in Nero's ear was that Christians divide families, break marriages, and tamper with family relationships. True or not? When a f uh, female married um, to a man came to faith in Rome and the man didn't come to faith, what happened? Marriage broke. There's, again, see the seed of truth? Twisted and distorted into a lie. When a child came to faith and the parents didn't come to faith in Jesus, parents reject the kid or the child, perhaps even adult child, family is broken. So there's, again, there's these seeds of truth. So Jesus is teeing it up to his disciples and he's beginning to say, listen, I'm going to be hated and I'm going to be hated so fiercely they're going to take me and crucify me. And then you're going to be hated so severely and you need to be prepared for it. So uh, one of the things that, that I, I would um, say or sort of speak to us as a church is there are often, and I'm finding more and more right now, there are Christians who are becoming probably um, haughty or angry or prideful in who we are and are beginning to hate the world. You know what I'm saying? I think we need to be very careful because you never see Jesus hating the world. He's always loving the world, but he was resolute in his willingness to be different to the point of death. Go back to me as a high school student, ninth grade at Hoggard High School. I remember decisively making this choice. I remember several times walking up to a little group of students. Everyone's talking. Michael enters the group with my little backpack on, and everyone, silent. And I remember at some point making the decision, you know what, I'm going to follow Jesus even if it costs me my friendships or popularity or they think I'm not cool. And at some point, I think we as Christians all have to make that um, sort of choice, sort of that decision. So uh, let's open up the four things that I'm pulling out of what Jesus is saying here. And let's see if we can make some applications to them. And I want you to think, I'm, I'm just, I'm putting it in um, modern American language. You can be a Jesus uh, fan. So if you go to church once or twice a year, if you're, you know, you read your Bible once or twice a year, if you, you know, Fan or follower? Probably fan. Jesus' follower is someone who's really surrendering their life, immersing themselves in. And this is not condemnation. If you're, if you're here for the first time, you're going, what is it? This is not that. But I want you to begin to, to think about, am I a Jesus fan? I can be a loose fan. I can sit on the back. I can, you know, yeah, once in a while when it's convenient. But the moment it gets uncomfortable, you can also bail out. So the question is, fan or follower? Just think about that, modern American language. Okay, so Jesus says four things here. Um, and I want to put the four things 
uh, in a, just again, try to put them in, in a modern language. Um, I, I like to surf. I'm not very good. Just disclaimer. Um, I, I enjoy surfing, um, but there's a surf company called On a Mission. What do you think they're on a mission for? Yeah, big waves, deep barrels, sunny days, you know, nice beaches, whatever. Um, I, I want to I sort of shift that because I think Jesus has called each of us as Christians to be on a mission. There's a missional element to this walk with him, and he's beginning to prepare his disciples for it. So I want to I um, kind of couch it in that language. So the first thing um, that Jesus is saying here is, hey, disciples, and now, if you and I are in Christ, are we modern-day disciples? Yes. Okay. If Jesus is in you and you're in him, you're a modern day disciple. Say, I'm a disciple. Okay. So Jesus is saying, hey, disciples, opposition to my mission, opposition to the mission of Jesus is absolutely inevitable. It is inevitable. If you are going to walk with me intimately, um, powerfully, significantly, vitally, you will experience opposition. So I think even if we flip that, you have to begin to ask yourself, if I'm not experiencing opposition at some point, what? Am I fully walking with Jesus? I could still be hanging out in the Jesus fan category. Follow me? Okay, let's keep going. So opposition to the mission of Jesus is inevitable, number one. Now, let's open this up. The world, um, you, you get this idea in Scripture. Um, you got um, the world. You got our human flesh. That's the part of us that fights. It's not who we are, but it lives in our sort of um, created being. Um, and this, so you have the world, you have our flesh, and then you have the enemy. So the, the world is what Jesus is talking about um, here, and he's actually uh, saying that the world is going to come against you. So now let's just pause for a second and go, okay, what is opposition to us as Christians in 2022? If your neighbor finds out you're a Christian and, and decides to start treating you poorly, opposition? Yeah. Let's say you're up for a promotion at work and you, they find out you're a Christian and you don't get it. Opposition? Yeah, persecution. Um, let's say uh, someone hurts you intentionally. Graffiti. Um, you experience some form of abuse. Um, opposition? Yeah, it's persecution. So, so this is like this is a, a large category. <clears throat> and I think you, even as Christians, we have to begin to go, okay, um, this is part of our Christian life. It doesn't preach very well. Can I say that? Like, it just doesn't. In fact, you're sitting here with Jesus, and you're like, come on, Jesus, this isn't how you build a big church. The world's going to hate you seven times, like, right? The world's going to hate you. It's going to be really hard. Well, great, thanks. I'm going to go preach this today. Uh, there's a, a lady a number of years ago called Amy Carmichael, and she wrote a poem, and, and here's what it said. No wound no scar, yet as the master shall the servants be. As the master shall the servants be, and pierced are the feet that follow me. What's he promising? She's writing this, but, but thine are whole, can he have followed far that has nor wound nor scar? What's she saying? If you're going to follow Jesus, the time will come where you have to make challenging decisions that will result in your own scars. It's humbling. It's a little bit scary. And if you've walked far with him, the time will come where you have to make difficult decisions where you may end up losing financially. You might lose relationally. You might lose um, a friendship. You might lose because you make the choice to follow him. Okay. So opposition to the mission of Jesus is inevitable. Opposition to the mission of Jesus will at times be terrible. Um, you, you probably have never even heard this, but I got into this. I'm reading. I'm looking around. In the 20th century, 26 million Christians lost their lives for the sake of Christ. You believe that? In this educated world that we live in, 26 million, in places like China, the Soviet bloc, Cambodia, Mozambique, Angolia, Iran, Ethiopia, and Uganda. That's more than all other centuries combined in our largely modern educated world. You believe that? 
That's happening, and we live in this wonderful country, this wonderful place, and I realize that we're going, oh my goodness, it's getting darker, Michael. It is, and when it gets dark, we'll respond to it at that time, but for now, we can celebrate, and we still get to meet in a public middle school. That's amazing. 26 million Christians lost their lives in the 20th century for the sake of Christ. Uh, there's a guy that I respect named Dr. Peter Kuzmik. He's a Yugoslavian national. He's a professor at Gordon-Conwell uh, Seminary. And here's what he writes. This is hard, okay? So take it as you will. So much popular Western evangelical religiosity is shallow and selfish. It promises so much and it demands so little. It offers success, personal happiness, peace of mind, material prosperity, but it hardly ever speaks of repentance, sacrifice, self-denial, holy living, and a willingness to die for Christ. There's an element of the gospel of Christ Jesus that we in America, because we don't want to make people uncomfortable and we want to grow big churches, that we've avoided talking about and we've avoided preaching. And listen to me, church, if you want to walk with Jesus, you will be persecuted. You will. You're going to be hated by people. You're going to be rejected by people. You're going to go through troubles. You're going to face things in your own life. There is no way around it. And if I, um, as a pastor, I'm going to say this with great humility. In fact, I'm going to get on my knees uh, as I say this. There is a seductive trap that many of us as pastors and Christian leaders and worship leaders and leaders at every level of the church fall into. And it is we are going to selectively take portions of the gospel and elevate them and preach them because they sound better and they grow bigger churches. And we're going to avoid talking about portions of the gospel that are more painful. They're not as comfortable. They're not as popular because they're going to cause people to leave our churches. Every one of us as Christians is capable of slipping and falling into that. And I think it's probably most dangerous in a country like America where we don't see outward, easily discernible persecution. But make no mistake, what we as Christians are going through here in America is still persecution. If you walk with him, you will be persecuted. Okay, so number one. Opposition to the mission of Jesus is inevitable. Number two, opposition to the mission of Jesus will at times be terrible. Was it terrible in the early church? If you didn't take that pinch of incense and burn it and say Caesar is Lord, guess what's happening to you? They're going to kill you. They're going to throw you in jail. They're going to make you perform in the arena. Like this is no joke what they did to early Christians. Thirdly, the opposition to the mission of Jesus may be respectable. What do I even mean by that? Opposition to the mission of Jesus may be respectable. Did Jesus die at the hand of some savage or depraved persecutors? No. Wasn't some marauder band that came marching through and captured him and drug him out in the desert and killed him? No, 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 no. He was killed by the most respected elite in the nation of Israel. He was killed by the most respected elite then in Rome. So the, the, these two forces joined together to kill Jesus. And it's not some like ugly or uneducated or impoverished or no, no, no. It is the ones who look good and sound good and smell good. You, you hear me? Like those are the ones who oftentimes are most dangerous to this gospel of Christ Jesus. Opposition to the mission of Jesus may be respectable. Think with me about the Apostle Paul. He is a leader of leaders, Pharisee of Pharisees, religious guy of religious guy. He's on his way to being the head of the, the, um, the, the movement of, of uh, Judaism in his day and age. And he is out persecuting Christians, dragging them out of their homes. In fact, in the book of Acts, there's a guy named Stephen who's killed. And, and the apostle, what would be the apostle Paul, his name was Saul at the time, was uh, standing there holding the robes of the people who were doing the killing. It is those of, uh, perhaps those of us who are most outwardly respectable are often the ones who persecute um, the faith and Christians uh, most clearly and and most fiercely. Uh, The early church was persecuted most fiercely by wealthy Jewish people, amazingly. Now, do you think Rome loved wealthy Jewish people? 
it did because they generated all sorts of income, right? And the wealthy Jewish people hated Christians, and so Rome eventually took that position. Now, there were a few Caesars later. It was actually uh, Christianity went all the way to the top, and it was declared a national religion, but that happened in, in days to come. So opposition to the mission of Jesus may be respectable. And then fourthly, opposition to the mission of Jesus will be endurable. And if I could, uh, it's like if I could get anything here, is like how do we even talk about um, the reality of what it's like to be persecuted? I, um, I had the opportunity a few years ago to sit with a guy, and I won't tell you what country, and I won't tell you where it was, but I had an opportunity to sit with a guy who was imprisoned for the gospel for five years. It's very humbling to sit with somebody like that. Uh, when he became a believer, he started leading a house church. It was underground in the country he was in. And then all of a sudden, other house churches were congregating around him, and he had this network of house churches because they couldn't meet in public middle schools, right? And in time, they found out about this guy. The authorities found out about him. They came in, and they drug him off to prison. And when they drug him off, guess what happened to his wife and kids? They rejected him. They separated from him. And I, I got to see him. This was some maybe 10 years after he'd been in prison, and he'd never got reconnected with him. He'd paid it all. I remember sitting with him, and I'm talking to this guy, and he's telling me about prison, and he's telling me about his faith journey, and he's telling me about these house churches coming up, and I'm going, that happens today? That happens now? That happens in our world? That happens? And I, I'm sitting here in comfortable America in my air-conditioned whatever, and going, oh, my goodness. Lord, how do we even engage this at a deeper level? But what I heard from him time and time again, he sits there with this big old smile on his face. And he's just loving Jesus. And he told me about how he lived day by day through being in prison and what happened to him in prison and the horrible things he experienced. And he's just got this big grin on his face and he's going, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my King. I'll follow him anywhere. And I'm looking at him going, man, you understand faith at a level that I'm not sure I've ever understood faith. This is incredible. But what I saw and what I heard in him that day was opposition to the mission of Jesus will be endurable. Let's go back and read chapter 15, verse 26. When the advocate comes, the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you must also testify, for you have been with me from the very beginning. You get this idea that it is also endurable because the Holy Spirit is going before you to testify. So by the time you and I arrive on the scene, I think it's clear from this that we have a responsibility to testify. Um, some of the Bibles call that witness. They translate that witness. But I think it's clear from this there's a command that we are commanded to witness. But what's amazing is we're commanded to witness only after the Holy Spirit witnesses first. You follow me? So uh, the Holy Spirit is already witnessing to people, and then we're coming along behind him, witnessing in companionship and participation with him. Actually, the end of Mark, Mark 16, 20 says, Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs uh, that accompanied it. So you get this idea that the disciples are partnering with the Lord Jesus in witnessing or in um, sharing the gospel of Christ Jesus. Okay, let's, let's pivot here. Let me give you those four again, and then we'll pivot into some application points. Um, opposition to the mission of Jesus is inevitable. Opposition to the mis mission of Jesus will at times be terrible. Opposition to the mission of Jesus may come at the hands of respectable people. Opposition to the mission of Jesus will be endurable because he is with you in it. Okay, applications. If at some point we're not experiencing some rejection or some persecution because of Jesus in us, I think we have to begin to ask, have I made the transition from being a Jesus fan to a real Jesus follower? I realize that's heavy. Forgive me. But I think if we're in Jesus, if we're following after him, the time will come where you will experience persecution, and you might experience it from religious people. You might experience it from church people. You might experience it from people who are pastors or people who are, you might experience it from people who've been sitting in pews or churches for a long time, but you will experience some persecution. Now, let me flip this as we just make some applications and give you a warning. 
Um, Galatians 5.22 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Don't be one of those Christians who acts unkindly or ungenerously or insensitively um, without the fruit of the Spirit or reactionary or defensively or hot-tempered and then blame other people that you're being persecuted for Jesus. You follow me? I mean, if that's the case, then I think you have to go, all right, Lord, forgive me, fall on the line, and then (laughs) keep walking. Okay, so how do I know then if I'm in the Spirit? How do I know if I'm being persecuted for Jesus? I'd use that same thing, Galatians 5.22. Are you full of love? Are you full of joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control? If those things are at play in your life and you're being persecuted, I would say you're being persecuted for the sake of Jesus. Simple. I think the last thing that I would say as we transition here into communion this morning is there is opposition that we as Christ followers will experience at the hand of the world. There's also opposition that comes from our own flesh and that comes from the devil. And I would say to you, don't demean the amount of trouble um, that you may be experiencing at the hand of the world, at the hand of your own flesh, or at the hand of the enemy. And don't walk out of here if you're in the middle of something, whether it's financial or whether it's relational or whether it's circumstantial or whether it's job or whether it's health or whether it's something that's experienced or been done to you. Those are all things where you have this gracious and kind Heavenly Father that would go, not only do I um, am I walking with you and I won't forsake you in your pain, but I've actually hung on the cross and experienced the full extent of persecution and rejection and hatred, physically, emotionally, relationally, financially, socially, you name it. The Lord Jesus has experienced all of that rejection. And if you're in it, he would say to you, son or daughter, walk with me, stand with me, and I will journey with you through it. And together we will come out the other side. You hear me? This isn't like the bad news, oh, we're gonna, you're going to be hated, yes. But you're going to get through it, you're going to walk through it. And then I would remind us to lift our eyes because the greater kingdom of God is this eternal reality. It's the now and then what we'll experience in ultimate eternity where we are resurrected with Christ in, or resurrected with to life in Christ Jesus. It is, it is this idea that in him uh, we will co-rule and co-reign for eternity. So remember, just like we talked about pruning last week, that's how Jesus started off this chapter. If he's allowing something difficult or painful or challenging in your life, it's to prepare you to to end the future of this life and in eternity to co-rule, co-reign, and work with him for eternity. So you have to almost flip that paradigm where you go, okay, is trouble going to come? Yes. Is it going to hurt at times? Yes. Uh, Could I lose things? Yes. Could it be costly? Yes. Will it be worth it in relationship to him, his body, and eternity? Yes. At times, will the Lord Jesus intercept those troubles, break you free, change circumstances, heal, restore, redeem? Yes. Will he always No, when he does redeem and break in on our behalf, and I think we're supposed to ask and keep on asking that he would, but when he does, it may not always even look like we want or be on our timetable. But I don't think we as Christians can give up on the fact that he is saying, even though it's gonna be hard, even though you're gonna be hated, go through it because I have great good things on the other side, both on planet earth and in eternity. So you carry this eternal mindset where you go, okay, it's gonna be hard but he's going to be with me. He's never going to leave me. He's never going to forsake me. There's an advocate, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, who is going ahead of me to witness and to testify, and he's called me to witness and testify with him. Amen? On the night that Jesus was betrayed... He took bread. In the passage we're reading, he was just betrayed a couple hours earlier. But he took bread, and as they lounged around the tables, 
he broke the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. And then he took wine. We have juice this morning, but he poured it out and he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant poured out for you. Every time you do this, do so in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, I pray that today as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, as we celebrate communion, that you would take these common elements and you would set them apart. And we as your people would come to the communion table with our hurts, with where we're being hurt, with where we're under persecution. And Father, I pray that you would meet us there, filling us with your person, filling us with your presence. Father, I pray as we come to this table this morning that you would fill us with your hope, with your peace, with your joy, that you will journey with us through the pain, through the persecution, for the joy set beyond. Father, as we celebrate communion, would you be glorified in our midst. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Phil and Patty, would you guys come and the ones working with you? We're going to do three stations this morning. So the people sitting in our center station are going to exit this way, come down, grab your uh, juice and your bread, and you can go back to your seat. The ones in this, air, this section are going to come down, grab bread and juice, and then go back to your seat. And the ones in this section are going to do the same thing. Are you going to dismiss us row by row? Okay. Um, if you'll hold the elements, I'll say a prayer for us at the very end, and we will take... Um, the bread and the juice together. Listen to me, church, as you take this today. This is about remembering what Jesus has already done on our behalf. And no matter what you come in here with today, this is the God that wants to meet you and fill you and heal you and walk you through to life and wholeness, no matter how difficult the current moment is. Don't take this beating yourself up for what you've done or failed to do. Take it recognizing what he's already done. Lord Jesus, Lead us through this. In the mighty name we pray. Amen. Okay. We can start with the front row here and come on.
Let's take and eat and drink together, remembering that he said there would be trouble, we would be hated, but he would be with us in it every step of the way. to invite our worship or our uh, prayer team to come up to the front and be available um, if there's someone who has special prayer and if you have a special need that you want to ask for prayer for if you're under some persecution or suffering or difficulty yeah come on prayer team you don't have to be shy we'd love to have any of you all who want, has a need to come up and pray with us if you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ Jesus, I'd love to talk to you or pray with you. I'll be standing right down here. If you're online and you're watching us and you've never surrendered your life to this God, maybe today's the day. Put your name in the chat and we'll follow back up with you. We're going to worship uh, with one closing song. The front's open. The people up here are open if you want to come for special prayer. And then I'll close us out in just a minute.
Father, as a church, I recognize there's a number of, number of hurts, number of things that we came in here with today, a number of things where we even feel persecuted or we're suffering at the hand of the world or flesh or the devil. And Father, I pray as we celebrate this communion Sunday, as we celebrate as a family, Lord Jesus, that you would go forth and you would minister to people. Father, I pray that you would work healing in physical bodies. Lord, I pray you'd work healing in hearts and minds. Father, I pray you'd work restoration in relationships. And Father, I pray as a church that you would galvanize us for the suffering that will happen. We will be hated. But Father, we are received and accepted and celebrated and loved in Christ Jesus, the beloved. Father, I pray that you would watch over each of our families, our kids, our grandkids. Father, I pray that you would remind us that you are the creator, God Almighty, Lord of heaven and earth, and you go before us and you come behind us. Father, I pray for every hurt in this building at this moment that you would meet those needs and the ones watching online, that you'd meet those needs in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, we love you and we praise you, Lord Jesus, and we surrender our lives to you again and ask that you would be Lord, having your will, having your way, working your good pleasure in and through us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast of Saltbox Church. If this content was helpful to you, please like it, rate it, review it, and share it on social media, as that is helpful to us. We believe when a person grows in their own Jesus journey, everyone around them benefits and gets better.